0: Chapter 7 of Dash for Khartoum. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Dash for Khartoum by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 7 El Teb. The next morning, the Gordon Highlanders and Irish Fusiliers accompanied by a squadron of hussars and the mounted infantry with a couple of small guns crossed the lagoon and occupied the entrenchment the cavalry went a little distance out but the enemy were seen in considerable numbers and as there might be a large force concealed among the low sand-hills no attempt was made to attack them as it was undesirable to bring on serious fighting until the whole force were in readiness to advance in the evening the cavalry recrossed the lagoon as there was no water obtainable on the other side and the animals had to depend upon the supply landed from the steamers all day the work of disembarkation had been going on and in spite of the heat of the blazing sun the men had worked enthusiastically in getting the horses and stores on shore the next day the naval brigade one hundred and fifteen strong all picked men from the crews of the gunboats with ten officers landed the troops on the beach were most anxious to advance but as those beyond the lagoon had to depend entirely upon food and water carried across to them it was unadvisable to push a larger body of men forward "'especially as the natives had clearly no intentions of attacking them, "'contenting themselves by keeping up a distant fire. "'I expect the beggars are gathering their forces just as we are gathering ours,' "'one of the hussars said, as they sat round a fire they had lighted "'with some driftwood picked up on the shore. "'The heat was in no way required, but the light was cheerful, "'and the smoke kept away troublesome insects.' they reckon another said upon falling upon us on the march as they did upon baker's men but they will find they have got into the wrong box general baker came down himself in the steamboat which arrived this afternoon i heard one of the officers say so edgar put in it will be a satisfaction to him to see these fellows well licked on nearly the same ground where they cut up his force Ah. I expect baker would give his right hand to lead the cavalry in the charge what a splendid officer he is there is not a man in the army can handle cavalry as he can and wouldn't the tenth fight with their old colonel at their head there was a general chorus of assent how splendidly he fought in turkey another trooper said i am told the turks he led would have done anything for him and had just the same confidence in him our chaps used to have if he had been in command of the whole army instead of those rotten old pashas the russians would have found it a very different job i wonder when we are going on now we have got all the stores ashore it will be precious slow work being stuck on this beach we are waiting for the sixty-fifth a sergeant said i heard the Serapis was expected this morning it is great luck for them getting a fight without any trouble at all how pleased they must have been when they heard at aden that they were to be stopped on their way up to have a share in the affair yes i call that a first-rate piece of luck another agreed to have a good fight and then go straight home well we have got nothing to look forward to afterwards but garrison duty in cairo i would rather be going on to india fifty times like enough we may see some service there the sergeant said if this mahdi fellow comes down which they say he means to do to invade egypt you may be sure we shall all have to go up to stop him i don't call it fighting against these savages one of the troopers said what chance have they got against regular troops i don't know johnson the zulus were savages and they made a pretty tough fight against us i suppose you don't want anything much harder than that these fellows have been every bit as brave as the zulus they cut hicks pasha's army into mincemeat and they have licked two egyptian armies down in this neighborhood if you think this is going to be no harder work than a field day at aldershot i think you are likely to find you are mistaken you don't suppose sergeant that these naked beggars are going to stand for a moment against a charge of eight hundred cavalry it did not seem as if naked savages could stand infantry armed with breech loaders but you see the zulus did it does not seem possible these arabs can stand for a moment against our charge but you see we do not understand these fellows one knows what regular infantry can do against cavalry and it may be we shall find that these arabs are not to be ridden over as easily as we think when you have got to reckon with men who don't care the snap of a finger whether they are killed or not you never can count upon an easy victory however badly they may be armed and however undisciplined they may be there is nine o'clock he broke off as the bells on board the gunboats rang out twice a moment later a bugle sounded lights out and the call was repeated by the buglers and trumpeters of the various corps and a few minutes later the men stretched themselves out on the sand and silence reigned in the camp the next morning admiral hewitt set on shore eight seven-pounder guns from the fleet to take the place of the same number of little camel-guns which had been found to be of no real utility at noon the smoke of a steamer was made out in the distance and a few hours later the serapis whose engines had gone wrong arrived with the sixty-fifth who were landed at once and immediately crossed the lagoon to the entrenchment and it was known that the advance would at once begin in addition to the guns sent on shore from the fleet, the artillery had ten brass mountain guns and four crups. The naval brigade had with them two nine-pounders, three gatlings, and three gardeners. The troops were divided into two brigades, the first consisting of 610 men of the rifles, 751 Gordon Highlanders, and 334 of the Irish Regiment. The second brigade of seven hundred sixty-one royal highlanders five hundred of the sixty-fifth three hundred sixty-one royal marine artillery and infantry and one hundred royal engineers there were six hundred camels for the transport three hundred fifty mules and one hundred camels for the ambulance corps while the camel battery was composed of eighty camels and one hundred men in the course of the afternoon major harvey and lieutenant-colonel burnaby rode out two miles beyond the entrenchment and planted a white flag with a letter attached to the flagstaff calling upon the enemy to retire and allow us to pass on to tokar without opposition they were fired at by the arabs and as the flag disappeared a short time after the officers had returned there was no doubt that the letter would arrive at its destination before nightfall the whole of the force with the exception of one hundred and fifty men left to defend the stores on the beach had crossed the lagoon three hundred men were to remain in the entrenchment when the rest marched to defend the transport animals and stores left there against any attacks bivouac fires were lighted and round these the troops sat smoking and chatting until the bugle call ordered all to lie down in their ranks they were bivouacked in the order in which they were to advance. The formation was to be a sort of square, of which the Gordon Highlanders were to form the front face, the Royal Highlanders, the rear line, the Irish Fusiliers, the right face, with the rifles inside them. The 65th were on the outside of the left face, the Marines being inside them. The whole square was about 250 yards long by 150 deep between the marines and rifles in the centre were stationed the transport animals with the reserve ammunition and hospital appliances the camel battery with the seven pounders was to remain in reserve in the centre of the square while the sailors with the six marine guns were placed at the left front of the square next to the gordon highlanders the bivouac fires were kept up all night as it was considered probable that the enemy who occasionally fired from a distance might attempt an attack upon the sleeping force the night however passed quietly but towards morning rain fell heavily soaking the troops as they lay and there was a general feeling of gladness when the reveille called them to their feet fresh fuel was thrown on to the fires and the men tried as best they could to dry themselves the kettles were boiled and breakfast eaten and the cavalry recrossed the lagoon to the beach to give their horses water at the tanks there they then rejoined the infantry their place was to be in the rear of the square but two squadrons were to move in extended order as scouts a mile in front of it and on both flanks their orders were that if attacked they were not to charge the enemy but to open right and left and to retire at once and rejoined the main body in the rear of the square so as to allow a clear space for the sweep of the infantry fire the infantry were to fire only in volleys on word of command and were not to open fire until within three hundred yards of the enemy moving out from the camp the force was halted on open ground and a brief inspection made to see that all was in order and soon after eight o'clock the advance began in earnest as soon as they moved forward the enemy could be seen retiring evidently bent upon pursuing the same tactics they had done upon the occasion of the advance of baker pasha's force from the same halting-place a month before the officers with their glasses could make them out swarming along a slight ridge of ground in the neighborhood of the wells their flags extended along a front a mile in length, and guns could be made out in position. As the column advanced, the enemy cleared off from the rising ground, but whether they had retired behind the ridge, and were there waiting in readiness to pour out to the attack, or whether they were moving round to fall upon the flank of the column, was uncertain. As the column neared the position, it could be seen that a breastwork had been thrown up, and that the position of the guns had been well chosen, and the enemy could now be made out crowded among the bushes on the ridge. It was now ten o'clock. The column was advancing briskly to the martial music of the pipes of the royal Highlanders. The cavalry scouts had moved away from the front, and the square was within five hundred yards of the ridge. They were not, however, advancing directly against it, but were moving in a line almost parallel to its face, as General Graham had determined to pass it and then attack in flank, as it was evident that there would be serious loss in a front attack upon a position so strongly held and fortified. It was a trying moment for all expected that the silence, so far preserved by the enemy, would be broken by the roar of cannon and the discharge of musketry and that it would be followed by the tremendous rush that had proved fatal to Baker's force. But the square kept its way for some distance, across the face, before the enemy opened fire. They had doubtless expected that a direct attack would be made upon their position, and the passage of the troops, without the slightest attention to themselves, surprised and disconcerted them. But at last they perceived that they must take the offensive." and suddenly a hot fire of musketry broke out from bush and earthwork while the krupp guns manned by the soldiers who had formed part of the tokar garrison opened fire the distance was but four hundred yards and several of the men fell out from their places in the ranks wounded but the greater part of the shot and bullets flew overhead no reply to the fire was made by the square but its direction was changed a little more to the right so as to take it somewhat farther from the face of the enemy's position the artillery now opened fire upon the guns of the enemy but the square kept on its course steadily while a storm of bullets and fragments of shrapnel shell flew around them the enemy's gunners proved that their training had been good they worked their guns quickly and their aim was accurate general baker who was acting as head of the intelligence department was struck in the face by a ball from one of the shrapnel-shells this embedded itself so deeply in his jaw that it could not be got out by the surgeons until after the conclusion of the fight but the gallant officer having had his face bandaged up remounted his horse and continued his duties throughout the day upon getting to a position at the end of the ridge held by the enemy the men were ordered to lie down while the artillery continued their fire against the enemy's batteries. At a quarter to twelve, the Arab guns ceased to fire, and the men were ordered to their feet again, and with loud cheers continued the advance. The square moved on until well in the rear of the enemy's position, and then marched straight towards it. Owing to this change in the direction of its march, the left flank of the square now became its front, and it was the sixty-fifth, with the naval brigade on one flank and the royal highlanders on the other who were nearest to the enemy fast and thick the flashes of musketry broke out from the bushes but as the square approached the fire ceased and then groups of black forms sprang to their feet and with loud yells rushed towards the square waving their spears and swords it seemed incredible that these little groups of ten or twelve men each should intend to assail the solid lines of the british but as fresh parties every moment sprang up and charged down the order was given to fire a flash of flame ran along the face of the great square and then a continuous roar told that the breech-loading rifles were at work while the machine-guns of the sailors added their rattle to the din of the musketry as if utterly heedless of death the arabs rushed forward through the leaden storm but were mowed down like grass before it not one of these intrepid warriors reached the face of the square not one turned to fly but of those who left their shelter to attack the square every man fell with his face to the foe without halting for a moment the square kept on its way until the front line reached the bushes then with a wild yell a swarm of arabs sprang to their feet with so sudden and desperate a rush that they reached the sailors and for a minute a hand-to-hand struggle took place bayonet against spear but the wild courage of the natives was of no avail against the steady discipline of the sailors the assailants were swept away and the square moved on but the ground was now so broken with bush and rock that the even line could no longer be preserved. From every bush and from rifle-pits dug among them, and from behind rough entrenchments, parties of Arabs leapt to their feet and hurled themselves in vain upon the British bayonets. As the front of the square reached the ridge that had formed the Arab position, the fight was most desperate, the enemy throwing themselves furiously on its flanks and the royal highlanders and the sailors had to fight hard to win their way through them but at last the ridge was won two of the enemy's krupp guns were captured and as soon as the square had been formed up again in order these were turned against the position the arabs had now taken up in rear of their first line of defence in the centre of the position they now occupied was a brick building where an engine for pumping up water for irrigation purposes had formerly stood the arabs had loopholed the walls and surrounded the building with rifle-pits here they made a desperate resistance until at last the doors were burst in and the building stormed several mud huts were defended with equal obstinacy and many of our men were wounded by Arabs who lay feigning death in the rifle-pits, and then, when the first line of troops had passed, leaped out and rushed in among them, cutting and slashing, until bayoneted or shot down. While the Sixty-Fifth were winning this position, the Gordon Highlanders carried the village, while the Royal Highlanders captured the redoubt at the extreme right of the position the enemy had first held the enemy now had been driven from their last line and fled in all directions at a speed that rendered pursuit by the infantry impossible during the last portion of the battle the cavalry had been kept in the rear out of the range of the enemy's fire and the men had nothing to do but to sit quiet on their horses and watch the attack of the infantry square upon the enemy's position fretting and fuming not a little that they were unable to take their part in what was evidently a desperate struggle but at last bodies of the arabs were seen streaming out from the position and general stuart who was in command of the cavalry division gave the order and wheeling far round to the right of the infantry led them against a large body of arabs in the plain beyond the ridge the enemy did not await their attack but fled hotly pursued by the first and second lines for some distance the order to cease pursuing was sounded when it was seen that the third line composed of a hundred men were attacked by a body of arabs who had advanced from the left and the main body wheeled round and advanced to assist them but the ground between was already occupied by the arabs these as the cavalry advanced threw themselves down among the tufted hillocks and mounds which covered the whole plain the horses in their course leaped the hillocks swerving at the sight of the dark figures lying among them the arabs sprang instantly to their feet in the intervals between the horsemen and hurled their spears at them or as they lay thrust them into the horses and as these fell sprang upon the riders and cut them down at the same moment a small body of mounted arabs dashed into the fray most of them were cut down but some made their way through the line and turning the instant they did so fell upon the rear of the charging squadron colonel barrow who commanded it fell but it still pressed forward the opposition becoming every moment more severe general stuart led the second line to the assistance of the first but these two were desperately opposed and had to fight hard before they could reach them one of the general's orderlies was killed and two others wounded major slade of the tenth hussars lieutenant freeman of the nineteenth and lieutenant probin fell and twenty men were killed and as many wounded before the enemy retired colonel webster's squadron which made several brilliant charges at the enemy now joined the rest of the cavalry but the Arabs were momentarily reinforced, and after what had been seen of the desperation with which they fought, it was deemed imprudent to pursue them further. With the exception of the losses sustained by the cavalry, the total loss at the Battle of El Tab was small, amounting to only thirty killed and one hundred and forty-two wounded. One infantry officer was killed, one mortally wounded, and one severely so while many received slight wounds the loss of the arabs exceeded two thousand edgar's squadron was among the first line when the charge was made to the assistance of colonel webster's squadron he was in the rear rank and could not well see what was passing in front and he was astounded upon seeing men spring up apparently from the earth and furiously attack the horsemen with spear and sword he himself had a very narrow escape his horse swerved as it leapt a low bush and almost simultaneously a native sprang to his feet and lunged at him with his spear instinctively he threw himself forward on the neck of his horse and as he did so felt the spear graze his back below the shoulders the next moment his horse had taken him beyond the arab's reach but at that instant he heard a cry and saw corporal north's horse fall with him pierced by a spear thrust given by a native lying on the ground before the corporal could rise the arab was upon him with his sword and struck him down with a sweeping cut upon the shoulder edgar had wheeled his horse round instantly and before the blow was repeated was within striking distance of the man and his sword fell upon the uplifted wrist dropping his sword the arab sprang upon the horse and strove to tear edgar from the saddle while at the same instant the arab who had first thrust at him ran up fortunately he came up at the side on which his comrade was clinging to edgar and was therefore unable to use his spear against him but after a moment's hesitation he plunged it into the horse which reared high in the air and then fell edgar had at the moment rid himself of the man who was grasping him by shortening his sword and plunging it into his body and as the horse reared he drew his feet from the stirrups and dropped off over his tail coming down upon his feet just as the animal rolled over dead the other arab rushed at him with his spear edgar cut at it with his sword and severed the iron head from the staff and then springing forward ran the arab through before he could take to his sword but several others were running up and edgar felt that his case was desperate by this time the corporal though badly wounded had freed himself from his fallen horse and drawing his carbine from the bucket shot the arab nearest to him the others however came on without a pause edgar and his wounded companion made a desperate defence but both received several sword-cuts and edgar felt the end was at hand when with a roar like thunder, the second line burst down upon them, and the Arabs were instantly cut down. Take those two men up behind you, an officer shouted. Two of the troopers reined in their horses and assisted Edgar and his companion to climb up behind them, and then, riding at full speed, soon regained the line. In another minute the trumpet sounded for a halt edgar and his companion now slipped from the horses and joined their own squadron the corporal was scarcely able to stand and edgar was not in a better plight major horsley rode up to them not badly wounded i hope he asked it is a miracle your getting in when once dismounted i think i am pretty nearly done for sir the corporal said but i wish to report that trumpeter smith has saved my life by coming back to my assistance when my horse was stabbed, and fell with me. He killed the two men who attacked me, and so gave me time to free myself, and to aid him in making a fight of it, until the second line came up. As Corporal North concluded, he fell insensible from loss of blood. At that moment the surgeon came up. Are we going to charge again, Major?" because if so these men with the others badly wounded had better be sent across at once to the infantry there are too many of these arab scoundrels about for them to be left behind here but if we are not going to charge i will give their wounds a first dressing at once i don't know the major said i will ride to the general and ask him and speak to him about the wounded sergeant meekings if the order comes to charge before i return tell off a trooper to take up each man too badly wounded to ride and let them carry them straight across to the infantry after giving this order he rode rapidly away but returned in two or three minutes we are not going to charge again doctor he said they are mustering too strongly for us to attempt it the general says he will halt where we are until the worst cases of the wounded are attended to here two of you men dismount and assist the surgeon get their jackets off lads the doctor said take this corporal first he is the worst case the other wounded men were now brought up and their wounds were all bandaged those who could sit a horse then mounted behind other troopers while a number of soldiers were ordered to dismount and lay the others upon blankets and carry them in edgar was one of these he had received one cut on the top of his head and his helmet had alone saved his skull from being cleft he had another gash on the right cheek his side was laid open with a spear thrust the weapon having fortunately glanced from his ribs and he had another sword cut on the hip he was unable to walk from loss of blood but he felt that none of his wounds were very serious and the surgeon said to him cheerfully you will do lad your wounds are ugly to look at but they are not serious "'You will be on horseback again in another ten days.' "'Major Horsley had not spoken to him, "'but he had given him a little nod of satisfaction "'when the corporal gave his report. "'The cavalry moved across at a walk toward the wells of el Teb. "'the wounded being carried between the lines, "'as there was no saying how many Arabs might be lurking among the bushes. "'On reaching the wells, they were taken to the field hospital, "'which had already been organized.' there their wounds were more carefully examined and redressed and after a drink of lime-juice and water with a little brandy in it edgar soon dropped off to sleep in the morning major horsley and captain atkinson came round to see how the men of their regiment were getting on the surgeon's report was favourable except in the case of corporal north i think he will pull round major but i am sure he will never be fit for service again that wound on the shoulder which he tells me is the first he got has cut clean through the collarbone and penetrated almost to the upper rib i doubt whether he will ever have the use of his arm again but that i cannot say anyhow it will be long before it is fit for hard work trumpeter smith there is nothing serious the matter with him but he has had a marvellous escape if his helmet had not saved his head the blow would have cleft right through his skull if the wound in his cheek had been a couple of inches higher it would have opened the temporal artery and if the spear had penetrated instead of gliding off his ribs that alone would have been sufficient to have done his business as it is he is not much the worse except for loss of blood and with luck will be fit to take his place again in the ranks in a fortnight i am glad to hear so good an account of you smith the major said as he went up to his bedside i have reported your conduct to general stuart and your name will be sent in among those recommended for the victoria cross mind i don't say that you will get it lad i don't think you will for so many men distinguished themselves yesterday in that hand-to-hand fight that the name sent in will be very much larger than the number of crosses given still your having been recommended will count in your favor when the time comes so saying with a kindly nod he moved on to the next bed at nine o'clock the force moved out towards tokar half the gordon highlanders being left at el Teb, for the protection of the hospital and stores and with orders to find and bury the europeans that had fallen during the day many of the egyptian garrison of tokar came into the camp from the surrounding villages in the afternoon a mounted orderly brought in the news that the force had met with no resistance whatever on their way several parties of the enemy had been seen but these fled as soon as they saw the troops advancing in tokar seventy of the egyptian garrison were found in a half-starved condition while their comrades had consented to join the arabs they had steadily refused to do so and had been very badly treated in consequence by them and by the inhabitants of the town the arrival of the troops was hailed with great joy the inhabitants had had a terrible time during the occupation of the place by the arabs and the whole population were preparing to accompany the troops on their march back to the coast the cavalry had ridden out to debba where the camp of the force besieging tokar had been established in the afternoon edgar was so far recovered that he was able to sit up his wounds were sore and painful and the strapping of plaster in which they were enveloped rendered him very stiff and uncomfortable but as he said to another soldier he had been just as stiff and sore after a football match and felt confident that in a few days he should be as well as ever the next morning the force returned from tokar and edgar and the other troopers who were well enough to go outside the hospital tent to see them come in were amused at their appearance for they had before starting armed themselves with spears taken from the fallen arabs for the fight on the previous day had shown them that their swords were of little avail against the tactics of the arabs in throwing themselves flat upon the ground and that spears were much better suited for warfare against savages they were accompanied by the greater portion of the population of tokar who were to be conveyed in the ships up to suakim the cavalry had found that the arabs had left the camp at debah before they arrived the expedition there was however by no means useless for they found an immense quantity of rifles and ammunition together with a gatling and mountain gun all of which had been captured by the arabs at the rout of baker pasha's army or at the destruction of the force under colonel Moncrief some months before the guns captured in the entrenchments made up the complete number of those that had fallen into the hands of the natives on those two occasions and so left them without artillery the work of burying the dead had been carried on by the force left in camp and by the aid of those who now returned was completed in a short time no less than a thousand arabs were found to have fallen in and around their entrenchments and numbers must have got away only to die subsequently from their wounds it was learned from prisoners that osman digma had not himself been present at the battle but had sent a thousand men to reinforce those engaged in the siege of Tokar, the force now moved down to Trinkatat with three hundred men of the garrison of Tokar who had rejoined them, and four or five hundred men, women, and children from that town. The reembarkation was speedily effected, and a few hours later the ships entered Suakim Harbour. It was found that the natives of that town had received the news of the victory of El Teb with absolute incredulity but the arrival of the tokar fugitives convinced them that the arabs had really been defeated one of the prisoners taken at Sinqat came in a day or two later having made his escape from osman digma's camp he reported that the news of the battle of el teb had arrived there before he left and that it had been given out that seven thousand of the english had been killed and that it was only nightfall that saved them all from destruction the first step of admiral hewitt and general graham on their arrival at suakim was to issue a proclamation calling upon all the tribesmen to leave Osman digma and to come in and make their submission promising protection and pardon to all who surrendered this proclamation was backed by a letter from the sheik who was held in the highest estimation for his holiness he told them that god had sent the english to destroy them because they had forsaken the old religion for a new one and entreated them to come in and make their peace a fortnight had now passed since the fight at el teb edgar who had remained on board the hospital ship had made rapid progress towards convalescence and was now reported by the surgeons as fit to return to duty which he was most anxious to do as it was daily expected that the force would move out against osman digma who was at tamai a place sixteen miles to the southwest of suakim the troops had been disembarked and he was delighted when he was again able to join his squadron spies came and went daily and they were unanimous in saying that osman would fight another battle. The news that El Teb was a disastrous defeat was by this time known, but his explanation that the misfortunes were solely due to his orders having been disobeyed perfectly satisfied his followers, and their belief that he was invincible was wholly unshaken. The most fanatical of the coast tribes still held to him, and on the ninth of March twenty-one of their sheiks sent in a defiant reply to the proclamation saying that the ten thousand men they commanded would meet us in the field it was therefore evident that the struggle to come would be much more serious and determined than that of el Teb. edgar received quite an ovation upon rejoining his troop the manner in which he had defended his wounded comrade had awakened their lively admiration the more so since the man for whom he had so imperiled his life had but lately been his personal antagonist well young'un you are getting on a sergeant said to him i won't say you are getting all the luck for luck has nothing to do with it this time anyhow you are doing well smith and it won't be many months before you are in our mess and it needs no profit to see that you have every chance of going higher if you keep on as you began here you are only about seventeen years old and you have made a big mark in the regiment already you have got the major and the rest of the officers on your side from that affair at aldershot then the fact that you are the best cricketer in the regiment counts for a lot and now you have got wounded and have been recommended for the victoria cross if you don't mount up after all that it will be your own fault you have every advantage the fact that you have been a gentleman is in your favor for naturally men are picked out for promotion who are best fitted for the position of officers and your having been able to take a first-class certificate in the school in itself brings you into notice be careful with yourself lad i know you don't drink so i need not warn you about that don't get cocky i don't think you will for you haven't done so at present and the notice you have had from your cricket and that aldershot affair would have turned a good many lads heads but it is a thing to be careful about you know there are a good many old soldiers who are inclined to feel a little jealous when they see a young fellow pushing forward but if they see he is quiet and gives himself no airs and is pleasant with everyone, they get over it in time and in your case every one will acknowledge that you deserve all the luck that may fall to you so be careful on that head smith you will find very little jealousy among us sergeants when you once get into our mess for there are very few of us who have any idea whatever of ever getting a commission or would take one if it were offered a sensible man knows when he is well off and except for a man who has had the education you have had? One is much more comfortable as a sergeant and better off too than one would be as an officer, when one is with other men who want to do as they do, and an officer who has got to live on his pay finds it hard work and painful work. Of course, most men promoted from the ranks—I mean my class of men—get quartermasterships, but there is no great pool in that. Quartermasters. Are neither one thing nor the other the officers may try to put him at his ease but his ways are not their ways and i have known many a quartermaster who if he had his choice would gladly come back to the sergeant's mess again thank you for your advice sergeant edgar said quietly i will follow it to the best of my power i don't think there is anything to be cocky about for the thing at aldershot was pure luck and so it was the other day I happened to be next to North when his horse fell, and of course I turned round to help him, without thinking who he was, or anything about him. It was just instinct, and it hasn't done him any good after all, for I hear he is not likely to live many days. End of chapter 7